Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. We're glad you're with us today. We're going to try to answer your questions today, answer as many as we can. We hope we get to yours. If you're a first-time viewer, uh, let me explain what we do here. We answer questions. Uh, Most of them are about the Bible. A lot of them are about life and what the Bible has to say about it. But uh, some of them are very direct, explain this verse or this doctrine or something like that. And a lot of them are more general. uh, What's the Bible say about this problem that I have? So uh, we'll answer anything about the Bible. Try to find you a Bible answer. If we can't find an answer in the Bible, we'll tell you the Bible doesn't talk about that. But the Bible's got principles on almost everything that leads to life and godliness, it says. So we can find something in there that will help you on almost anything. The way you get in touch with us is there's a phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen. Use those anytime to get in touch with us. Tell us what you'd like to know. Uh, we'll put it in the scripts ahead and get to it just as quickly as we can. So that's the way we operate here. Uh, Toby Levering's here. He helps me answer questions. Good morning, Toby. Hi, Steve. I'm glad you're back and studied up and ready to go. Uh, we always start with a question for our viewing audience and let them see if they know a little bit of Bible knowledge. Uh, this one is there was a child in the Bible that was prepared for sacrifice. Uh, he was ready to be sacrificed, in fact, and uh, we need his name. And I'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program. See if you know about that child prepared for sacrifice. It looks like I drew the first question today, so let's get started. How is a friend of the world an enemy of God? Well, that is a biblical statement. Uh, You find that a couple of times in 1 John and then again in James. We'll read that in a moment. Uh, The concept that we need to understand is that throughout the whole Bible, especially the New Testament, it talks about uh, kind of two areas, two big divisions talks about dark and light, talks about uh, the narrow road and the broad way, talks about uh, evil and good, righteous and wicked, uh, heavenly and earthly, uh, all of those binary uh, areas of this world. And when it talks about the world and God, uh, that's what it's doing. It's talking about there's two systems in this world, if you by the best way I know to explain it, God has said, here's the best way to live life. God has said, here's what you do to worship me and please me, and I will bless your life if you follow my commands, you follow my teachings. Uh, Jesus said, I want you to have an abundant life. So there is a system that leads to a good life, an eternal life, and then there is a system of the world that's opposed to that. And that's kind of what Satan does. He just changes things around and he says things are good for you that God has said aren't good for you. 
It started in the garden. God said you can eat anything in the garden except don't eat the fruit off of that tree. That one's bad for you. And Satan came along and he said, no, it's good for you. He said, it really won't kill you. It's good for you. So that's the two systems that there are. God's trying to make our life better. The world's trying to make it worse through Satan's system. And you look at today and you see how many things have been turned upside down. It's an Old Testament verse that says, Woe to them who call good evil and evil good. Just change things around. Uh, God says some things are really bad for you. And the world said, Oh, no, this is good for you. If it feels good, do it. So that's my explanation is there's two systems, a world system and a God system. And so when John says in 1 John that you can be friends with the world and that's being an enemy with God, that's what he's talking about. Let's read the one passage in James chapter 4 where he makes it pretty clear. James 4, 4, James said, Don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity against God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Okay, so it's not talking about having friends in the world or uh, anything like that. It's talking about if you follow the world system, if you decide, I'm going to be friends with that. I'm going to do what feels good. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to be selfish like the world teaches me to. Uh, Then you're an enemy of God. You're not following his system. So that's what it means. Follow God's plan. Follow His system. uh, Do what He says and you'll have a more abundant life and you'll be friends with God. All right, Toby. Uh, You were asked the question, where does it say Jesus was being in a tomb? Where Does it say Jesus being in the tomb was like Jonah being in the whale? Okay, well, uh, if you are familiar with the Bible text, Jonah was a minor prophet, uh, probably best known for spending three days and three nights in uh, the belly of the great fish. And the it's a fascinating story. Uh, of course, that gets the focus and the attention because it makes for a good VBS and good children's <laughs> stories, and it's memorable, of course. But the real story is about Jonah's heart and his unwillingness to, to go and preach to a, a city <clears throat> of Nineveh and the people there. And they were not God's people. They were rebellious, wicked people. And Jonah was reluctant, but God knew the hearts of those people and that they were a prime for revival and repentance, and he needed someone to preach to them. And so God was able to, uh, uh, well, bring Jonah around to his way of thinking uh, by showing that you can't run from God and that God's purposes are always achieved. Uh, the question is, uh, where was that? Where did Jesus refer to that? And it, the answer is found in Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 40. Jesus said, "Then the text says rather, then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to, to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah." For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, what he's using there is is pointing to an Old Testament prophet and a story that was probably as well known then as it is today and saying that prophet had an amazing story, but I have an even more amazing story and and a greater sign that's going to come. I'm going to spend three days and three nights in in the in the heart of the earth, in the tomb, but I'm going to come out of that. And so he was using that prophet 
and his story to point to the even greater story of his death and most importantly, his resurrection. So we know that not only was Jonah a real prophet and that that was a real event where you know, he actually did spend the night in the three days and three nights in the great fish, but it also pointed to the greatest story that was absolutely where our hope and our eternity uh, puts its uh, uh, hope in that story as well. So it's a good story, and uh, that's where Jesus referred to it. All right. I forgot a question about two verses want to be explained, uh, and it's about the necessity of baptism. Uh, please explain Acts 2.21 and Acts 2.38. Well, I will in just a moment. We'll read those verses and another one, and I hope think that will answer the question. But uh, let me say just a few things first. Uh, what this person has done is found two verses that don't say exactly the same thing. And so they say, well, how do you explain these two verses that don't say exactly the same thing? They seem to contradict each other. Well, a good rule of thumb, well, not a good rule of thumb, a good rule <laughs> is that the Bible doesn't contradict itself. So if you find two verses or three verses or ten verses that all seem to say different things, uh, they, they agree somehow. You just got to figure out how they agree. Uh, you can't take one verse and say, well, that disproves that verse. And I think that's a little bit what this person is doing, is saying Acts 2.21 says something different, so it disproves Acts 2.38. Uh, and we'll see very easily that no, it doesn't. It just agrees perfectly. So let's start with the two verses that our viewer proposed. First, Acts 2.21 says, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Okay, so that person reads that and says, all right, what you have to do to be saved is you just call on the name of the Lord. Okay, I agree with that. you got to call on the name of the Lord. Now here's another verse, Acts 2.38. Peter said, because they asked him, what do we need to do to be saved? And he told them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So if you want your sins forgiven, if you want to be saved... What do you have to do? You have to repent and be baptized. Well, that's a true verse also. Acts 2.21 doesn't negate it or prove it wrong. They're both true. And you say, well, how can that be wrong? Uh, how can that be true that they're both true? Let's just read one more verse and we'll get it. Uh, Saul was um, didn't believe in Jesus. He met Jesus on the, the highway. Uh, he went blind. He went into town. And after everything else, the preacher told him this. He said, now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Well, how do you call on his name? Well, the preacher, Ananias, said you do that by being baptized, uh, repenting and being baptized. That's how you call on his name. Okay? See, calling on his name is not just saying something, it's appealing to Jesus to save you. And when you do that, you do whatever Jesus said. Well, Jesus said, repent and be baptized. So if you're going to call on His name, you're going to do what He says. So Acts 2.21, Acts 2.38, just different ways of saying the same thing. Ananias put them both in the same sentence. Uh, he said, you've got a sin problem. And what you do to solve that problem is you call on the name of the Lord by being baptized. So uh, pretty simple when you read with the idea that 
The Bible does not contradict itself. It gives us the story. Uh, all we got to do is just read it and trust Jesus and things will just be fine. So, yes, baptism is necessary. Calling on the name of the Lord is necessary. Confessing His name is necessary. Repenting is necessary. Believing is necessary. Lots of things that are necessary uh, to be saved. So, read it that way and it will make a lot more sense, I think. All right, let me take this moment and tell you a good way to study the Bible. Uh, We enjoy answering a few questions, but we also advocate home Bible study so that you can keep learning about your Bible. And we've got some materials, some tools that we'll send to you. Uh, There are courses that will come to you in the mail, and you can sit down and uh, take your time and read your Bible and do it privately or with a group. We've got a lot of people that do it with a a group of neighbors or something like that. They sit down and go through the lessons together and use it as a Bible study. A good way to learn some things about the Bible. The first course is on the screen right now and it's a very basic uh, non-denominational explanation of the Bible. It helps you get familiar with your Bible once you get through those eight lessons. Uh, We've got a certificate that we'll get to you. to congratulate you for completing that course. And then we've got more courses beyond that that you can keep studying the Bible for quite a while with Know Your Bible Study Tools. So either log on or call that phone number on your screen. Uh, tell us that you'd like that free course and we'll get it started for you. And it is free. We, we even pay the postage. So not going to cost you a cent. Just take a little bit of your time and you'll know your Bible a lot better when you're done, I think. All right, Toby, what's your viewer interested in here? Hey, they want to have a question about preachers, which I'm not oh, sure. Good. We'll see. <laughs> Why are there so many preachers in favor of same-sex marriage when the Bible says homosexuals will not enter the kingdom? Well, my, the answer to the first part of the question is uh, there's always been prophets and preachers, and I think there's kind of two different groups. Uh, one tend to preach what's popular, Uh, and the other tend to preach what's right. Sometimes what's popular is right, but most of the time it's not. I would tell you as a preacher, it's much easier to preach what's popular. Sometimes you have to preach a message uh, that you know will offend some of your hearers. It will step on some toes, as they say. Uh, And that's hard to do because no one wants to be unliked. Uh, We know that old adage about what they do to the messenger uh, more often than not, and so nobody wants to deliver a, a hard message. Um, And uh, in today's world where it's politically incorrect to say anything's wrong and to uh, do anything that might be perceived as a judgment, uh, if you do not bow to the idol of tolerance and and, uh, non-judgmentalism, you will be crucified uh, and you will be labeled a hater and a bigot and all of these terrible things. Uh, simply because you preach what's in the Word. So I can tell you that the answer is why preachers do it is because it's a lot easier <laughs> to preach what's uh, popular, uh, but of course that doesn't make it right. What's right is God's Word. Uh, anyone can preach, but not every preacher uh, teaches what preaches what God's Word says. And so all preachers must do their best to be honest to the Word, to be true to the Word, to preach the Word, and to do that, um, to, to rightly divide it in a way that's honest with the text. Uh, let's read 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. For the time will come, now keep in mind this is in the first century when Paul wrote this. The time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. 
They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. And, of course, that is so easy today because there's a lot of people with itching ears and a lot of uh, preachers who their life will be a lot easier. Uh, they'll have uh, larger crowds. Uh, they'll probably get paid more and they'll get book deals if they only will acquiesce to what the culture says. Uh, and um, that's the, the struggle uh, against uh, preaching what's right and preaching what's popular uh, from a preaching perspective. But if you're true to the Word, you, the Bible is very clear. Homosexuality is a sin. Uh, it's not a different sin than any other sins like hatred or lust or any lying, stealing, it, but it's still a sin. And so we have to make sure I identify it properly. And we know that the only way to find salvation from sin is through Jesus Christ. I take hope, and Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said, you know, uh, he makes a whole list of people, of things that people struggle with, liars, adulterers, homosexual, homosexuals, and so forth. And then he says, and such were some of you. And see, just if you're struggling with a sin, there's still hope. And the answer to that is Jesus. And uh, we know about that hope because of the Word. And so we go back to the Word, we go back to His words, so that we know what's true, so that we can not just live in sin, but come out of it, be freed from it, and live eternity, eternally with Him. So, uh, yep, it's still a sin, and that's why preachers <laughs> got to stay true to the book. All righty, good answer. Uh, we got a why question here, which usually are kind of dangerous to mm -hmm. ask what, why God did something, but this one I think we can answer. Why did God destroy the earth with a flood? Uh, well, the short answer is because the earth was so messed up that God decided to start over again. Uh, but uh, Genesis 6 gives us some more details on that short answer. So let's go to that and just read the answer. Genesis 6, uh, one reason, it says, The wickedness of man was great in the earth. Verse 5. Verse 5 also says, Every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Verse 11 says, The earth was filled with violence. Verse 12 says, The earth was corrupt all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. Okay, you read those and you see what the earth was like. Uh, verse 5 is interesting. It says, only man, mankind only thought of wrong things to do. All they thought of was ways to do more evil. Uh, it was filled with violence. And I know some of that sounds a little bit like our society today, uh, but this was where everybody was that way. They're, all they thought of was doing wrong things. So that's how bad it had gotten. Man had used his free will to do wrong things, and it got so bad that God said, all right, I'm going to start over here. I'm going to find some righteous people, and he could only find eight uh, put them in an ark and saved them and destroyed everything else and started over. So why did God destroy the earth with the flood? Because things were so bad, he decided to start over. Let me take a moment and invite you to visit a Church of Christ near you. Uh, we're kept on the air by Churches of Christ. It's one reason we don't ever have to ask for money on this program, never have, never will, uh, because we've got some good Christians in Churches of Christ around the country that help us stay on there, and we like to thank a few of them each week. Uh, today, let me thank three of them in central Kansas, uh, Isabel and Kingman and Mead, uh, fine groups of folks there that all believe in this program and help us stay on the air. If you live in that community, uh, one of those communities, 
Uh, if you're looking for a church home, certainly drop in on them, but uh, maybe you just know somebody that attends there or work with somebody or go to school with somebody that's a member at one of those churches of Christ. Uh, tell them that you heard about them on Know Your Bible and you watch the program and enjoy it. Uh, they'll appreciate knowing that uh, they're doing some good there, so give them a thanks for us. And like I said, if you're looking for a church home, drop into any Church of Christ in whatever area you're viewing from. Uh, you'll find a group of people that uh, think and study the Bible like we do here. Uh, and I know you'll be warmly welcome. So visit the Church of Christ sometime. All right, Toby, what's, uh, you, you got another one got, upset I here. Got, I got a bunch of upset people. <laughs> I would say it's a question. It's more of a statement. Okay. So here it is. Uh, you do not understand the Bible. The Ten Commandments are the laws of God, not laws of Moses. They were never done away with, and you are deceiving the nation by not teaching them. Okay, well, this person's a little wishy-washy, and they're kind of <laughs> dancing around the issue, I guess. Um, you know, our viewer may uh, again say, wow, this person seems really uh, uptight about some things. This is coming from someplace, and we get enough questions on this program that we know where this is coming from. Uh, every so often we'll get questions about uh, Sabbath keeping. And there's a group of folks who sincerely believe that the Sabbath is, is something, the seventh day of the week, uh, that Christians should observe, that we should uh, uh, worship and uh, uh, observe the Sabbath in that way. And uh, uh, I believe they're sincere, but I believe they're misguided in their understanding of the Word. Uh, the reason that they come down so hard on us is because the only justification for following the Sabbath is uh, in the Old Covenant, the law given by God, uh, they are right, uh, through Moses to His people Israel. And the, the problem is that, uh, that Jesus Christ didn't do away with that law. He fulfilled that law so that we didn't have to. And now we live under the New Covenant, which gives us freedom from the law. I mean, if you just look at the law and try to keep even ten of them, most people can't even name the Ten Commandments, let alone keep them. Uh, but when you begin to look at the list, you see how hard it is. And there's 600 plus more commands that God stipulated in the old law. Uh, now, if you're a sincere person and you want to live under the old law, that is your choice. But you can't pick and choose which ones you want to keep. So if you're going to keep the Sabbath, you need to keep the whole law if that's where you're trying to find righteousness. Uh, we believe our righteousness is found in Jesus Christ. We believe that He fulfilled the old law and that as such we live under the new law uh, so that we do not have to serve in the written code. Paul said that the old law was nailed to the cross. What he meant there was Jesus fulfilled it through His sacrifice. Uh, and when, when you just look at a few pages of what the lists of rules were that they had to keep under that old system, I am so thankful we are saved by grace and not by works. But if you want to try to, uh, you can try, but uh, there's just not a very good uh, success record of keeping all of it uh, entirely. So uh, it's part of the old law, and we don't believe that it's uh, something that's required of us to keep but um, you can try to find your righteousness by law-keeping. Let's look at uh, Romans chapter 7, verses 5 through 6. Paul writes, For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. 
So uh, that's my answer. Um, I'm sorry that you think we don't understand the Bible, but we do our best to be honest to the text, and uh, we want to encourage you to do the same. Okay. Uh, I might point out there was one statement in that statement, not a question, but a statement, said they were never done away with. Uh, well, Colossians 2 and 3, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. might want to read those because it says they were done away with. Yeah. They were yeah. nailed to the cross. Uh, and he specifically mentions the Sabbath in mm-hmm. there. So, mm-hmm. uh, yes, they were done away with. Now, <laughs> that doesn't, there are some people that uh, just the idea of the Ten Commandments not being in effect kind of shocks them yeah, uh, yeah. because they are good moral laws sure, and yeah. nine of them are repeated in the New Testament. And to, yeah. doesn't, when we say they're not in effect, doesn't yeah. mean we advocate stealing right. and adultery and <laughs> yes. all that. Yep. Uh, they're still laws of God, but yep. the Ten Commandments themselves are an old covenant thing, and we follow the new covenant. All right, let's get to one more in here. A viewer wants to know, is annulling a marriage a biblical teaching? Uh, short answer, no, that's not in the Bible. Uh, in the old covenant uh, a marriage really was counted as taking place at the betrothal, at the engagement. Uh, they were considered marriage. And if during that period, before then, and the actual final marriage, uh, they discovered that the woman was not a virgin or something like that, uh, they could put them away is the term for it. So I guess that's the closest thing to an annulment. Uh, Joseph and Mary had that situation where Joseph considered putting her away when he found out she was pregnant. Uh, but it's not called annulment. It really wasn't. Uh, there is a legal process, which I think is good, and I think there are some cases where a fraud or a, a false pretenses, somebody might get married and then find out later that, hey, that person that I married has actually already got five wives or something. Uh, you ought to be able to annul that. So we've got some laws that let you do that. Uh, but the concept of a religious annulment is not in the Bible. Uh, the Roman Catholic Church has that doctrine. Uh, they treat marriage as a sacrament, one of the seven sacraments, I believe. And those are so closely tied to salvation, uh, keeping the sacraments, uh, that what they've ruled is that you just can't do away with something easily that's a sacrament. So, And I think that's a good idea. Uh, but the way they've done it is said that the only way you can get rid of a marriage sacrament is if it wasn't lawful when it started. Uh, so they call that an annulment, and for certain situations they will annul a marriage and say, well, it wasn't lawful from the start. Uh, so that's Catholic Church teaching, and uh, that's not the, that word or that concept is not found in the Bible. All right, we're about out of time today, but we want to make sure we get our trivia question answered and make sure, see if you know the answer to that. What child was prepared for sacrifice? And I imagine most people know that story. It's a famous uh, child named Isaac was the answer. Uh, his father Abraham was told to sacrifice him. Uh, he took him to the mountain and prepared him for sacrifice, and God provided a sacrifice right at the end, uh, the ram and the bushes, and Abraham sacrificed him and didn't sacrifice Isaac, but he was prepared to, a uh, test of his faith and one that he certainly passed. Uh, he was ready to do what God said because he believed that if God wanted him to do that, that he'd give him Isaac back somehow. Uh, that's pretty good faith in God. All right, we're out of time. We won't uh, have any more questions today, but we'll get some more next week. So we invite you to come back then, and we'll try to find uh, answer as many of your questions as we can. And 
hope we get to yours. We're glad you've been with us today. I hope you have a good week, and uh, we'll see you next week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.